Should be on, Daniel, is that right? Yep. We've gone back to the good old-fashioned tie mic. (laughs) Not that I have a tie, but (laughs) I did wear something with a collar, at least. Um, Well, good morning. Um, My name's Jodie. I'm on the leadership team here. And you've actually already heard a summary of my talk from what Rich and Helen have shared this morning. So that was, um, yeah, the synopsis (laughs) of what we're going to look at. Um, over this morning and then the the next few weeks as well. So we're going to be looking at the topic of discipleship and what it means to really follow Jesus as his disciples. Now this is something that I'm um, hugely passionate about (laughs) um, and have been, I think, ever since since I can remember. Um, But even more so um, since I discovered this book, the Divine Conspiracy. I don't know if anyone's read it. Anyone read? Anyone heard of it? Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who I've spoken to in the last five years has heard of it. Um, so there's uh, a couple of years ago, well, a few years ago now, um, some people in our home group did a theology course. Um, and as the homework, they gave us a copy of one of the chapters to read. 60 pages of dense theological exploration of what it means to be a disciple. But so much of it really spoke to me. And it spoke to me about the problems and challenges that we have in churches today and what it really means to be a true disciple. And it really resonated with my heart. So if, um, yeah, highly recommend it. A lot of what I'm going to say is from um, the chapter on being a disciple and the chapter on becoming like Christ. The chapter that caught my attention was a curriculum for Christ-likeness. And as a student of the word of God and wanting to know what God wants us to do, I thought, that's what I need. I need a curriculum, a study course, to know how do I become like Christ? How do I live for Jesus? We've got the Bible, which I absolutely love. It is my favorite book, not this one, however much I talk about this one. It's, um, yeah, the Bible tells us. But sometimes God reveals things to to people to help us in our journey of how to study the word of God, how to study what God said. And so that's why books like this can help us to really dive into the Bible and to explore what God's saying when he gives us instructions in his word. So this morning, we're going to think about discipleship. Now, as humans, we are made to grow and to learn. If you think of babies, and we've got babies of varying ages and months and weeks and years um, in the church, when you're born, you can do very little. You can cry. (laughs) That's about it. And your parents have to work out what your cry means. (laughs) Are you hungry? Have you got a dirty nappy? Do you just want a cuddle? Is it too hot? Um, There's not many ways you can communicate. Um, But as you grow and learn, you watch the people around you, you listen to the people around you, and you form who you are, and your actions, your behaviours, they grow and they learn. So obviously that's children start to take their first step, all the physical behaviours that we see that they've learnt. When we think about language, Chris studied linguistics at university, and he said this to me years ago, which I've always remembered, that when a child is born... All the neurological pathways in their brain are open. 
ready to learn anything, ready to learn any language. And as we hear and we are instructed and we take in, different pathways are strengthened and others are closed off. So depending on the environment we're in actually shapes the way that our brain works. Um, it's why it's harder to learn languages when we're older, because lots of those pathways are closed. So I might be on day 476 on Duolingo learning Spanish, but I still struggle to order an ice cream on holiday <laughs> because I've been programmed in a certain way. Um, and um, my brain has formed, my behaviours have formed, my actions and thoughts have formed. So whether we consider it or not, we are all actually disciples of something or someone. So when you were little, that was your parents, your carers, your teachers. As we grow up, we have peers around us that we follow. And as Christians, we need to decide, who is it that is shaping us? Who is it that's forming us? And how and who are we becoming like? So if we look at the definition um, of discipleship from the dictionary, um, it says the disciple is a pupil or follower of any teacher or school. And a true disciple is not just a student or a learner, but a follower who applies what he has learned. So we can be a disciple, a pupil, a learner of anyone, and to be a good disciple of that person, we need to take what we hear and put it into action. So just be thinking that this, we want to be think about this and apply this to our following of Jesus. People often get confused about the term disciple and what it really means. So I don't know about you, but people can think that there's um, a category of being a Christian, someone that accepts Jesus, um, prays a prayer, asks for forgiveness of sins, and then does their best in life. And then there's the hardcore radical group who are disciples. Those are the ones that are a little bit crazy, a bit too extreme for some of our liking, the ones that really take what Jesus has said and try to apply it to everything. And in our minds, we've got the separation that we can accept Jesus and kind of carry on as we did before, or there's the, the hardcore disciples. But actually, if we look at what Jesus said, he doesn't make that distinction. He doesn't say, come follow me, and then you can decide how much that impacts your life or not. He says, come follow me, learn from me, be with me, I will teach you, you will be transformed. If you submit to me, your life cannot fail to be transformed. So in reality, it's actually quite a simple thing, discipleship, for us to understand. We can't just accept Jesus as our saviour and get the benefits of what he saves us from and the benefits of eternal life. As Rich said, we need to submit to him as Lord. He is both Lord and Saviour. And Lord means that we are learning from him what he wants us to do and we are being obedient 
in, in our response to him. So we've talked already a lot this morning about Jesus' love for us, God's love for us. How do we know? And Helen helped us see the Bible tells us that God loves us. We can see through our experiences that God loves us. But how do we show that we love God? How do we show that we are following Jesus? And in, in the book by Dallas Willard, he writes it like this. The assumption of Jesus, of his followers here on earth, is that they would live their lives as his students and co-laborers, that they would find him so admirable in every aspect wise, beautiful, powerful, and good, that they would constantly seek to be in his presence and be guided, instructed, and helped by him in every aspect of their lives. It was Jesus' assumption that, that people would follow him, and by following him, that they would be obedient to him. So that then all the promises and the wonderful things that he tells us is based on that assumption of obedience. And you may have heard us over the last few months talking about our vision at EFCC, to know Jesus and to make him known. And if we unpack that, to know Jesus is to love him. To love him is to obey him. To obey him is to become like him. And to become like him is to make him known. So this commitment starts with knowing Jesus. That is the starting point. That's what Rich pointed us to this morning about that commitment. Am I accepting Jesus for who he says he is? And then our response to him is obedience. That's our love to him. And in doing that, he transforms us. We become like him. And then the world can see him. So for Jesus, there was no good reason why people wouldn't put into practice what he was teaching them. He was teaching them the Father's heart. He was teaching them the way to do life well. Why wouldn't we listen to the person who created us to understand how to do our life? It would be like thinking we know better than our smart TV manufacturer or our car manufacturer to know how something is made and how it works. Our creator, the God of the universe who made us, instructs us, wants to draw us into a relationship, instructs us and wants us to follow. So we're going to look at some um, passages in the Bible um, to help us understand what it means to be Jesus' disciples. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to start at verse 13. We have a screen coming up here for you to see on the screen as well. Can I have a volunteer to read the first bit for us, the narrow and the wide gates? Anyone want to? Have we got a microphone? narrow and wide gates. 
Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Thank you. So here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has given so much instruction about how to live, um, he then brings it to a conclusion in these few passages we're going to read. And this first bit is about the narrow way or the narrow gate. And really when you, you look into what Jesus is saying here is he's coming to obedience. He's saying that the narrow way is actually obedience and submission to him. That is the way that we can live that leads to life. Wide is the, the choices and the life that you could choose, but simply put, obedience to Jesus is the narrow gate, the way to follow him, to lead to life. If we go on to the next passage, Dave, if you can scroll down, the true and false prophets, who would like to read the next passage for us. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Thank you. So the bit I want to pick up from this passage is, is, is the end. Uh, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So, some heavy, heavy warnings and heavy words here from Jesus. But the promise here is that if you are a disciple of Jesus, your life will be transformed. Fruit will appear. Fruit of character. Fruit of, um, uh, it will radiate <laughs> um, from you. The choices that you make, the people that you impact, the fruit of your life will be how someone can look at you and know, are they a follower of Jesus? Are they a follower of Jesus? Are they a follower of Jesus? It should be easy for us to tell who's following Jesus because of the fruit we see in their life. I knew them before. They used to be like this. Now they're like this. They used to make those choices, but now they make these choices. They used to speak like this, but now they speak like this. They used to be full of despair and fear and anxiety, but now they're full of hope and peace and a vision for what God has for them, for their future. There's a difference. There is fruit in their life. They are the true disciple of Jesus, not the one that just says all the right things, but if someone's preaching, look at their life and see what fruit is in their life and go, okay, they're a disciple of Jesus. That's how Jesus tells us will know who his disciples are. 
Let's go on and read the, the next passage that Jesus puts here. Another volunteer. Anyone want to read this for us? Wonderful. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on the day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Thank you. I've heard Nita refer to this as the most scary verses in the Bible before. Um, imagine saying to God, Lord, Lord, don't you know me? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do all these things for you? And then Jesus says, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So again, this is a stark reminder of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's not about our outward acts, although they can be wonderful, and God has amazing things prepared for each one of us to do, but it's about if we knew Jesus. Had we committed to say, I follow you, I want to be in your presence, I want to live my life for you, Jesus, and you live it with me, and we're going to do this life together. And then Jesus can say, I know you, I know you, I know you. And let's just go down to the, the final piece, which is probably the most well-known passage. Gemma, do you want to read that? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Thanks, Gemma. So in this um, wrap-up on the Sermon of the Mount, this is how Jesus ends um, his teaching. And so he's talked about how to follow him. He's talked, given all these instructions. And then he uses his illustration of wise and foolish builders, which we probably all know well, probably even know the song about it from when we were kids. Um, but if we look carefully here, um, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The one who hears these words and puts them into my practice, puts them into practice, that's my true disciple. And we looked at this in detail when we studied the Sermon on the Mount, um, but it's about that obedience. Are we hearers of the word and doers of the word, not just hearers? You know, do we know what the Bible says and then do we do it? Do we know who Jesus is and then trust him that he is that in the situation, in the high and stormy gale, in the, in the valley of the shadow of death? What do we know and then really know and then live that out in the truth of it? 
So in that situation where I want to doubt, I will trust you, God, and I will put into action your command to be still and know that you are God. To put into action that I will wait on you and I will be renewed with strength like the eagle. That These promises and these amazing things from God's word are for those who follow him, who know him, who he knows, and who are obedient to him as our love to him. So all of this can seem quite um, heavy, quite um, severe. Maybe this isn't quite what you signed up for. This isn't quite what you thought it was to follow Jesus. Um, But I want us just to take a look at um, one of Jesus' disciples to help us have a bit of a reality check. So last week I was doing the kids upstairs and so I thought I'd reuse what I did with them because you guys can benefit from it too. But we were looking at Peter, uh, one of my favourite disciples. Um, So who can tell us a wonderful moment of Peter's great discipleship of Jesus, something amazing that Peter did from Peter's life? Anyone remember anything from the Gospels on what did what did Peter do? What's he known for? <coughs> he stepped out of the boat and walked on water. Yes, amazing. He walked on water. He was the disciple that jumped out the boat when Jesus came walking to them. What else did Peter do? Tia. So after Jesus, Jesus resurrected, um, <laughs> so then he was preaching the good news and then they told him that he's not allowed to preach in Jesus' name anymore and then because of his boldness, he, he carried on preaching. He said that he's going to obey God. Absolutely. So he obeyed God and he preached and he preached at Pentecost when everyone else was having a good time in the Holy Spirit. He was preaching the gospel because the Holy Spirit came on him with that skill to preach. He was bold for Jesus and wasn't going to let anyone shut him up. Anything else we know about Peter? Some of his mountaintop wonderful moments of a disciple of Jesus. Anyone else remember anything? Uh, he was on the mountaintop when, um, when Jesus transfigured and mm-hmm. he got to see that and no, not many other people did. <laughs> yeah, so he was in Jesus' inner circle and Jesus took him up there when Jesus was transfigured. And um, yeah, what an awesome experience. Um, yeah, what an amazing disciple. Um, he also was the one that when Jesus said, when all the disciples came to him and said, who do people say I am? It was Peter that said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. So he had revelation of who Jesus was. He was also, um, yeah, we've heard lots. He preached, he uh, prayed for people, they were healed. He was an amazing, dedicated follower of Jesus. But he also did some things that maybe show more of his human side. Anyone got some uh, ideas of some not-so-good moments of Peter? When he denied Jesus three times. So, yeah, he was the one that said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then when he was watching from a distance, when Jesus was being arrested and crucified, we know that he denied Jesus three times. Um, Any other kind of failure moments for Peter? Anyone else? He got a bit overexcited and cut off um, someone's (laughs) ear. (laughs) Yep. So Peter was there when Jesus was getting arrested and was like, what are you doing? No, this can't happen. 
slice off the ear. Uh, not such a good moment, maybe. Any others? Kelly? When he told the serpent that he would, um, he would have to die, um, Peter kind of said, no, no, Lord, that's not the way it should be. I will not allow it. Yeah. So he's like, no, 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 that can't be right. You're here to save us. So he hadn't quite got the full revelation of who Jesus was and what um, Jesus had to do. He was like, no, no. Julie, did you have another one? He ran away. He <laughs> ran away. Yes, he ran away and hid. Didn't want to be associated, was scared. Um, also, when we think of the walking on the water, he was brave at the beginning, and then what happened? He sank. <laughs> yep. Um, what about the washing of the feet? So Jesus says, um, I need to wash your feet. What's Peter's response? No, you can't do that. No way. And then Jesus explains why he has to do that. And what's, Jesus, what's Peter's response then? Wash all of me. <laughs> I get the impression Peter's very much an all or nothing um, kind of disciple and act out of passion and commitment to Jesus and then realize you shouldn't have cut someone's ear off. Um, so, you know, when you're having a bad day and thinking, <laughs> was I a bit overzealous for Jesus? Uh, Peter can be a helpful reminder that um, Jesus likes people that uh, act and fail. <laughs> um, so, yeah, really why I wanted to look at Peter. And we, um, when I was with the kids, we, we called these his rock moments and his jelly moments. So Jesus said to him, yeah, you've got this revelation. You know who I am. You're a rock, Peter. That's who you are. But sometimes Peter didn't act like a rock. He acted like jelly. He had a bit of a wobble. He did things that weren't exactly what Jesus wanted. But he was a true disciple of Jesus. And so, yeah, the reason to look and just to remind ourselves is that Peter was a real-life person that followed Jesus, a real-life person that lived alongside Jesus lived in Jesus' presence, heard Jesus' commands, and then he shows us that we don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. We don't rule ourselves out because we don't get it right all the time. We don't look at our failures and think, oh, I must be doing this wrong then. Peter lived with Jesus, and he still didn't fully know who Jesus was. He still cut off somebody's ear. He still denied Jesus. He still hid away. Um, but Jesus saw his heart. And so when Jesus comes back, and you know the story of them walking by, the, by the, the shore of the lake, and Jesus says, you know, do you love me more than these? And um, most likely he was talking about the fish, not the other people around him. You know, do you love me more than the other disciples? But what Peter had done when all else had failed was he'd gone back to fishing. That was who he thought he was. That's who he'd been formed to be, growing up, that was his um, earthly identity. And when, when he was discouraged, he went back to fishing. But Jesus came and beautifully restored their relationship and said, do you love me, Peter, more than these? Basically knowing that Peter did and trying to pull it out of Peter to say, this is who you really are. You're really my disciple. Not what the world might say you are, a fisherman. 
but you're my disciple. You know me. You follow me. That's who you are, Peter. So for us, um, following Jesus, we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at um, what that means and how, how we live as a disciple, um, what we can do from our side. Um, but just um, to focus on today, being a disciple is about our whole lives. It's about everything that we do. We can think of our discipleship of Jesus and think about how well am I reading my Bible, how well am I praying, have I had that quiet time? But really, it's about our whole lives and how well did I treat the cashier at Morrison's yesterday? How did I react when my kids did that thing again for the third time and it's not even 6 a.m. in the morning? It's about our lives. Jesus has called us not out of our lives, but in our lives to follow him, to be obedient in the lives that he has called us to. So that, as it says in Colossians, um, if I can find it, what you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And uh, some of you may know Brother Lawrence, um, not David, who comes to this church, but um, <laughs> Brother Lawrence, um, who is a monk, and by all accounts, quite a clumsy monk who worked in the kitchen and made soup. But um, he, he wrote some amazing books about being in the presence of God. And um, I loved this, this phrase, or this uh, paragraph from him. Our sanctification, so our becoming like Christ, our being made whole, does not depend upon changing our world but in doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. It is a great delusion to think that the times of prayer ought to differ from other times. We are as strictly obliged to adhere to God by action in the time of action as by prayer in the season of prayer. So that great encouragement that it's not about removing yourself from your life, it's about being in your life, following Jesus in your life, with his presence with you, obeying what he's calling you to, day by day by day. And I don't know about you, but for me, I can get caught up in, um, if I'm assessing my life, thinking about um, how well I'm doing. Um, I can find it easy to assess myself against the things that I know I shouldn't do. And I can think, actually, I'm doing okay. I'm, yeah, like, I'm faithful to my husband, not going out, getting drunk. Relatively speaking, I'm treating my kids well. Like, I can, yeah. I've been away for a few days without them, so I'm treating them very well now. Um, <laughs> but we can look at all the things and go, the do's and don'ts, and feel like, yep, yep, I'm doing well. Um, but if we've learned anything from the Sermon on the Mount, and if we've learned anything um, from that passage at the end that we read together. Um, my life really shouldn't be occupied with thinking about the do's and don'ts, but it should be occupied by doing the good things that God has prepared for me to do in advance. And if I'm not doing those good things, I'm just as disobedient. <laughs> I'm just as bad <laughs> as if I'm not doing all those uh, <coughs> instructions of do this, don't do this. Really what God cares about is my character and how I'm living that out 
And am I doing those good works? Am I being Christ in that situation? Not, oh, I haven't lied today, so I'm okay. For in Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. So what about the cost of discipleship? Even Rich mentioned that as he was leading us in prayer earlier. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 14, uh, 25 to 33. Um, So Luke 14, 25 to 33. Do we have another volunteer to read for us? Hope you've got good eyesight for this one. (laughs) The cost of being a disciple... Large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them, he said. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, the fa- hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower... Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. Saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able to, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have, you have cannot be my disciples. Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, so here Jesus himself is talking about the cost of following him. Have you really weighed it up? Have you really considered? And the key to this passage is at the very beginning, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. So it was like there was this new phenomenon, and who was this new person? And people had just started to to come along and to to walk with him, and people were being healed, and miracles were happening, and people were following. And Jesus was saying again, that's not what makes you my disciple, coming around for the glory, just seeing this amazing stuff that's happening, that's not what being my disciple, there's a cost. You basically have to die to yourself, give up your rights, and follow me. Um, But the good news is, we're going to just turn to Matthew 13. Um, It tells us about the cost, so... Matthew 13, 44 to 46 says, The kingdom of heaven is like hidden treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So counting the cost, when we really weigh up 
the cost of discipleship. On one hand, we have our old life with sin, anxiety, fear, brokenness. And on the other hand, we have freedom, we have peace, we have hope, we have a promise of eternal life. That's the exchange that we're making. That's what Jesus is saying here. When you truly understand what the kingdom of God is, it's like a hidden treasure. It's like a pearl of great price. Who wouldn't give everything they have for that? Do you really want to hold on to your brokenness when you can have wholeness in Jesus? The enemy will come and will deceive us. <coughs> deceive us that it's, it's a hard sacrifice. Think of all those things, those things that you really want to do, that you're going to have to give up. Think of all those things, you know, that, things that you had planned for your life. And you really want to give it up so Jesus can send you to be a missionary in outer Mongolia. Um, really? That's what you want? That's not what Jesus is saying is the equation here. He's saying, give up your brokenness. Submit to me a life in my presence and following me. And what you get is everything. And we know the, the passage from Paul where he writes it in his own words. In Philippians 3, it says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at what it means and how we follow Jesus in this way. But today we've seen that we are all being discipled by someone or something. That Jesus calls us to be his disciples, to put into practice what he's teaching us. That there is a cost to discipleship, but really what we gain far, far outweighs what we surrender. And the final point I want to make as we finish this morning is that we have to choose. We have to make that decision. Rich already shared with us and talked us through that. But I just want to read from Joshua 24. Now, says Joshua, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. That's his command to the people of Israel once they've, they've gone away and they've done what they did so well in rebellion and he's calling them back to be faithful to the God who is ever faithful. He says, now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates 
or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's been human nature for us to choose and make the wrong choices. But when we lay it out in black and white, as Joshua did here to the people of Israel, he's, going, he's giving them the answer. Choose life. <laughs> choose life. Choose the almighty God. Choose the maker of heaven and earth. Choose your creator. Choose this day to submit to Jesus and follow him. You can make the other choice if you really want to. And you can follow all those other gods. But you have the choice to follow the one true living God. So, Father, we thank you that you invite us in to a life of discipleship, a life of knowing Jesus, of following you, and of making you known through our lives in word and deed to those around us, that we have the privilege to trade in our rags for your robes of righteousness. Father, help us to get rid of any misconception that we can be a Christian and just cruise along in life because we've accepted you as our saviour. Lord, convict us that being your disciple is what you call us to. You call us to be hearers and doers of your word. Lord, and I thank you that our part in this is small and that your part is huge, that by your transformative power, somehow, a miracle takes place, and we become more like Christ. So help us over these few weeks as we journey <coughs> and look at what it means to be your disciple, that we might be true disciples who know you, who follow you, and who make you known. <coughs>